Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The title of the message today is Middle Ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start with verses 1 to 6. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So about 100 years after the reign of King David, Benadad II continued the expansion work of his father before him in the kingdom of Syria from Damascus. And he set his sights on Samaria and the wicked king Ahab and the northern kingdom of Israel. He made an alliance of 32 kings and they besieged Samaria with demands of tribute. And initially Ahab agreed to pay the tribute to Syria in order to avoid War, but Ben-Hadad was then further emboldened and come back demanding that Ahab allow Ben-Hadad's servants to go throughout Samaria and all the houses and to carry away everything that they wanted to back to him. Now Ahab refused this, and then Ben-Hadad began to threaten and he began to boast that he would come into Samaria and he'd carry everything away. Now, Benadad and his 32 kings were so proud, so confident of victory, that they were actually feasting and partying and were all drunk. Well, Ahab's army came out of Samaria, routed the Syrians and their coalition until they retreated. Now, Ahab was a wicked, wicked king in Israel. But in one of his exchanges with Benadad, he actually gave forth some pretty sound wisdom. And he sent this word to Benadad concerning his boast. This is in 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse number 11. Tell him, that's Benadad, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. In other words, don't boast and celebrate victory before the fight has happened. Now this is sound wisdom. And it also agrees with what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 8, that better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. In other words, wisdom knows that there's greater value in a thing done than merely begun. Well, beginnings are good. They're exciting. They are full of potential possibilities, optimism. But in all aspects of life, the wisdom of Solomon holds true. What is better than the beginning is the ending, the accomplishment, the finish line. Now, this is especially true in Christian ministry. Beginning Christian ministry is not nearly 
as difficult or maybe even important as completing it and finishing it well. So if you look at sites online like Lifeway Research and uh, Barna, and, and there's a lot of ministries that conduct surveys and they collect these kind of stats about churches and pastors and that sort of thing. But if you look at many of those stats, you will see just how difficult that finishing ministry and finishing it well really is. I read one that said that at any given time, 38% of pastors today are seriously considering leaving the ministry. 38%. I read another that said that uh, there was over 1,000 pastors And they were pastors across the United States from different denominations. And every one of them, every one that was questioned, reported knowing personally at least one person that had left the ministry. Something like 80% of those graduating from Bible college and seminary do not stay in ministry. Now, these are are men that have invested a lot of time and a lot of energy pursuing Christian ministry only to leave it after just a few years. Now, it's interesting that those statistics pretty much hold true across different denominations, across congregations that are different sizes, um, different places of the country, and even across a spectrum of for what we would consider liberal theology to very conservative theology. Those stats stay pretty much the same. Well, there are a lot of grim statistics available, but my point is not to discourage you, um, but rather to encourage you. I want to encourage you with plain speech. I want to talk about ministry the way that Paul does in his letters. Now, we can summarize Paul's true aim of ministry this way. The aim of Christian ministry is to be faithful to the God who called you all the way to the end and to help those you minister to do the same. The true aim of Christian ministry. So if God has gifted you for ministry, God has put you into ministry through His church, then your calling is to be faithful to Him, and to fulfill His ministry and finish in faith. And this now brings us to the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his letter to the church at Corinth that we know as 2 Corinthians. And it was about 900 years after the reign of Ben-Hadad II over Syria in Damascus that the ministry of Saul of Tarsus began after his surprising conversion to Christ on the road outside the city of Damascus. Well, the beginning of Paul's ministry is recorded in Acts chapter number 9, verses 10 to 20. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. 
But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. He received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat and he was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And notice this, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Paul's ministry began there in Damascus after his conversion. His ministry lasted for somewhere about 33 years, when in the latter part of the 60s A.D., his ministry and his life were both ended at the hands of a Roman executioner. As a prisoner, with the end of his life in sight, Paul wrote about his ministry to Timothy. In his last letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, Paul wrote, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. And there it is. We see the aim of Paul's ministry, to fight a good fight, to finish the course that was laid out before him, and to keep the faith. So from the beginning of his ministry, Paul wanted to complete the ministry. He wanted to finish well what he was called to do. He wanted to fight and to finish that ministry. Those that began but did not finish the ministry were not just statistics from a website for Paul. He actually knew many personally, and he wrote about a number of them to Timothy and to Titus, those that had begun the ministry, but they did not finish well. They didn't fight a good fight. They didn't finish their course. They didn't keep the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, he speaks of some that had gotten off track because uh, they were taken up with vain and foolish and worthless talk, that they were focused on these endless genealogies to prove superior credentials and pedigrees. They were caught up in Jewish myths and mysticism and musings about things not actually in Scripture, sort of like the false prophets in Jeremiah's day who were speaking to the people visions from their own minds and not the Word of God, according to Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse number 16. In chapter 1 and verses 19 to 20, he wrote of some like Hymenaeus and Alexander having rejected a good conscience and faith. Chapter 4 verses 1 to 3, he wrote of some that were liars. They're filled with hypocrisy and they've hardened their consciences by sin. In chapter 6 verses 3 to 5, he wrote of some that were proud, that were only interested in controversy and focusing on disputable matters And they were also greedy of gain. In chapter 6, verses 20 to 21, he wrote that there were some that were full of vain, worldly talk, and they supposed that they had some sort of higher knowledge. This would be also known as Gnosticism. 
and they had strayed from the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he wrote of some like Phagellus and Hermogenes had, that had turned away because of the suffering involved in the Christian ministry. In chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, there were some like Hymenaeus and Philetus that were teaching godless and worthless things, even heretical things, such that their hearers' faith was corrupted. Chapter 3, verses 5 to 8, there were some that held to a religious form, but they were obsessed with seeking higher knowledge and they never grasped the truth and they led many away after them. Chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, there were some that taught in order to please the desires of the people, what we would say, tickling their ears. Chapter 4, verse 10, there was Demas that loved the world and he simply forsook the faith because he figured out that he couldn't have both. In his letter to Titus in chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, he wrote of some ministers that are, are rebellious and hypocrites and deceivers and they were just out for gain. And in verse 16 in that chapter, he wrote that there were some that they did teach doctrine, but they shunned all practice and responsibility and personal holiness. So here's the thing. Paul didn't want that. As he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, he didn't want to be a castaway. He didn't want to be disqualified. He, he wanted to run well and finish the course. He wanted Timothy to run well and to finish his course. He wanted Titus to run well and to finish his course. I believe that the Apostle Paul wanted all ministers of Jesus Christ to run well and to finish the course. But in order to finish well, you have to keep going. All the way from the beginning to the end. You have to keep going and not quit. Paul went to Corinth... And he planted a church there right about the middle of his 30-plus year ministry. And this church in Corinth, from all accounts, was the most problematic church in the New Testament. I once considered preaching a sermon series from 1 and 2 Corinthians entitled, The Marks of a True Church. And I was going to go through and list all the problems that were going on in the church at Corinth. I don't know. Probably wouldn't have gone over well. I don't know. That church, the church was full of divisions. It was full of strife. They didn't seem to be able to agree and get along about anything. There was immaturity in the church. There was envy in the church. There was immorality in the church. There was lawsuits in the church. There was an absolute shocking corruption of the Lord's Supper taking place in, in the church. And aside from this, they criticized Paul sharply getting so personal as to criticize his appearance and his speech. They were comparing him to these golden orators uh, among them that falsely claimed to be apostles. And Paul said that though he had spent himself over and over for this church, his love for them was not returned. If there was any church that made Paul want to quit and leave the ministry, it would have been the church at Corinth. Paul described in this letter that we know as 2 Corinthians his sufferings more often and more extensively than in any others of his letters. Twice here in chapter number 4, though, Paul wrote 
that he and his fellow ministers had not quit. They had not given up. Verse 1, therefore seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not. Twice here in chapter 4, Paul used a word that is generally defined to mean lose heart. And there are some translations that do translate it that way. It's a word that's generally defined to mean to despair, um, to, to fail, to give up, all, all those sort of associated terms. But when you look at the word, the root of the word kakos, which is there, actually means something that is bad. It means something evil. It means something wicked, oftentimes translated that way. So in other words, when Paul says that he didn't faint or he didn't lose heart or that he didn't give up, he's actually saying something just a little bit stronger than that. What he's saying is not, not just that he didn't quit. He's saying we didn't give in to evil. We were not given over to evil. We pressed on. We persevered in this ministry, not giving up to evil. So what we have here is we have Paul's key to completing and finishing ministry well. Having begun in ministry, we have to keep fighting, we have to keep pressing, and not quit in that long, hard slog of the middle of ministry. So as we turn here to 2 Corinthians 4, I want to observe four ways to not quit in the middle of ministry. First of all, is to accept suffering in ministry. Don't be surprised by it. Don't think it to be something strange or unexpected. Paul began ministry with the very promise of suffering. I read those verses back in Acts chapter number 9 when God spoke to Ananias and said, I'm, he's, he's a chosen vessel. I'm going to send him, but I'm also I'm going to show him how great things he's going to suffer for my sake. That's the very beginning of Paul's ministry. Not only did he begin his ministry with a promise of suffering, but he began his ministry with an experience of suffering. When he was in Damascus, there was a conspiracy that was launched against him to catch him and to kill him. Right from the very start, that's the way he began his ministry, and that's the way that ministry continued for Paul as well. He began his letter to the church at Corinth here this, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 3 and 4, writing, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And Paul is not just talking about just general trouble, general trials that, that might come. As you read this letter to the Second Corinthians, he is continually talking about the troubles and trials that came upon him in the course of his ministry. He spoke of despairing of life in chapter number 1 and verse number 8, saying, we were pressed above measure. We were tested and tried way beyond our own strength thought he was going to die. He described his continual suffering in ministry here in chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, in verses 
8 to 11, writing, We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Notice how that he recognized that the life of Christ was manifested in his body. In other words, the life of Christ, Paul says, was made plain through his sufferings. And so he went on in verses 12 to 16 here in chapter number 4. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul said suffering worked in him and for him and for those he ministered to. He saw the value in it. So here we need plain speech. A call to ministry is a call to suffering. I know that doesn't sound like a good advertisement. But that is the truth of what Paul is telling us. Suffering comes to us in ministry in all kinds of ways. Not, it's not just at the point of a spear or the point of a sword or even the barrel of a gun. It's not always just prison or public beatings. There are all manner of ways that suffering comes to us in ministry, it will come. It will come in difficult trials in your family. It will come in difficult trials in your own body and in your heart and in your mind. Some sufferings will come to you because you'll make mistakes. You'll make wrong decisions in ministry. Not, not out of bad motives or, or, a, or a bad intention, but Because you're fallible, just as we all are. Some suffering will come to you because you make right decisions and because you stand boldly for God's Word. Some suffering will come from outside of the church and some suffering will come from inside the church. So if you're not going to give up, if you're going to continue in that middle of ministry when it's so easy and tempting to quit, you have to accept that this is the calling that you have received. You're called to serve others as a ministry. He says in verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' 
sake. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, he wrote, Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. So you must minister by and through your sufferings such that no one you minister to could ever think that they can follow Jesus without suffering. Second way is to commit to Scripture. Commit to Scripture as the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, all-authoritative Word of God. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not as many, many other ministers that Paul knew of and wrote about, which corrupt the Word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 12, he wrote, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And here we read in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 4, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to God, I'm sorry, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Paul did not faint or did not give up because he was committed to the Word of God. And being committed to the Word of God means being committed to communicating the Word of God clearly. The word for manifestation that Paul used there, it means to be clearly seen. The, he wrote to the Galatian churches, uh, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1, he said to, to them, before whose eyes... Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In other words, Paul and his companions in the province of Galatia, as they went there in in their ministries, they didn't go about Galatia reenacting the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They, They didn't put on some sort of an outdoor drama or a stage play. They didn't draw pictures of Christ on the cross on parchment to show people and and to illustrate. He didn't carve a tableau of wood or stone or, or anything else of the crucifixion. But yet he said to the Galatians, Your eyes have clearly seen the crucified Jesus Christ. Well, what did he mean by that? He meant because they had preached Christ clearly to those in Galatia and elsewhere. That's that manifestation of the truth that he was talking about. In other words, they were communicating the Word of God so clearly, he could say to the Galatians that Jesus Christ has been openly set forth, crucified before your eyes, even though they only used words. So a commitment to Scripture means a commitment to communicate it clearly regardless of how it's received. If this is God's Word, 
And the calling is to give God's word to the people, then we have no authority to change, alter, or obscure that message in any way. And it's not always going to be well received. So regardless, a commitment to trust in Scripture also means a commitment to trust that the Spirit works through the Word of God. Paul said that it was hid to those who were lost. In other words, Paul was, in 2 Corinthians, he's giving a defense of his ministry. He was was under uh, sharp criticism and attack. He was giving a defense of his ministry. And he's saying, we have used plainness of speech. We have made manifest the truth. In other words, we, we have communicated the truth of God's Word clearly before you. And if it was hidden, it's not because we used fancy words that people didn't know the meaning of. It's not because we used fancy rhetorical tricks like some politician on a, on a podium that can redirect your minds to where you're, you're on a totally different subject and he never answered the question to start with. No, Paul said if, it's, if, that, if that gospel is hidden, it's not because of our hiding it, but it's because their minds are blinded and the light has not yet shone through. Third, way not to quit as we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, is to preach Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face... Of Jesus Christ. So let Jesus Christ and His gospel be vitally central to all of your ministry. Paul said in the previous letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews' a stumbling block, under the Greeks' foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. In other words, people clamor for different things other than the plain preaching of Christ. Even some people that are well-intentioned within the church will, will tempt and pressure you to, to try to preach other things, maybe even out of, out of good ideas that they think they have. In your own heart, you will at times face discouragement. It will, it will seem to be that there's, there's a, a lack of, of tangible results. There, there's a lack of benefit. And, and the people un, under your ministry don't seem to be growing and flourishing as, as you so desperately want them to. And there will be temptations and discouragements. And sometimes there's a, a perceived pressure to perform on one in ministry. And you'll be tempted to offer people something other than Jesus Christ. Or maybe just something in addition to Jesus Christ. Something else to find some help. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, to Paul wrote, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined 
not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that is all that we have to offer, to give to people in ministry of the Word. So like Paul, be determined to know nothing other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God has called you. God has made you an able minister of the new covenant, just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, the new and better covenant brought in by Jesus Christ, and it is the ministration of life. The fourth way to not quit is to look to the finish line of ministry and life. And that end can can seem far away. Early in ministry, even when you begin slogging away in that middle of ministry, it can seem like that's so far away. But Paul kept it in sight. Notice what he, what he says here in verses 10 to 16 in this chapter. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, and we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the, by, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So you see right, right there, he said, knowing in verse 14, that he that raised up Jesus is also going to raise us up with you. Keep that end in mind, that you and those that you minister to are going to one day be raised up before Jesus Christ. Paul knew that there was a future reward that waited. And he knew that future reward surpassed any of the present sufferings. On down at the end of this chapter in verses 17 and 18, Paul wrote, For our light affliction... And just take the time to read 2 Corinthians and read what Paul is describing as light afflictions. I dare say sufferings that no one in this room has endured. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, just temporary, just like a vapor, comes and goes quickly, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the end of ministry, it will come. One way or another, it will come. 
And so we must fight through that middle of ministry in order to finish well and not quit. Because an account will have to be given. And I'm not talking about an account to the church. I'm not talking about an account to the brethren on the council. I'm talking about an account that's going to have to be given to your master, Jesus Christ. The one who, whose you are and whom you serve in ministry. So I want to finish this message with uh, sort of a charge, I suppose, more properly. First of all, to you, Andrew. Beginning ministry has its challenges and its rewards, as does ending ministry. But to get there all the way to the end, you have to not give up. You have to not give in to evil in the middle of ministry where you are going to most want to quit. You have to watch your life. You have to watch your teaching. You have to watch your wife and your children that God gives you. You also have to determine what prices should be paid and what prices should not be paid in ministry. It requires a lot of wisdom and faith. Men will ask of you what God does not. So live in His Word. Trust Him fully. If you fight the good fight, if you finish your course, if you keep the faith, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And to the church... I don't know, and no one besides God does know where all ministry will take Andrew. But to the church he's ministering in now, love him, pray for him, support him, help him, be willing to learn from him and with him. And don't hinder his service to God. You don't want to be the kind of church that makes him want to quit and leave ministry. Don't put unreasonable expectations on him that tempt or cause him to neglect the physical and spiritual well-being of himself and his family. And pray for him. For you are all one day going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to give an account. And may it be with joy.